All right, well, take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number 11. We'll get back to our series in Matthew in chapter number 11. Matthew 11. Appreciate uh, the message heard last week as Brother Ted preached Sunday morning and Brother Osteen Sunday night. It was excellent. Really enjoyed both of those, those messages. Okay, uh, Matthew, our, our series in Matthew, we're calling it Jesus is King. And uh, we've come now to Matthew chapter number 11. And so let me direct your attention to verse number one. We're going to read through verse number 15. And it's primarily about John the Baptist. And so let's read here a little bit this morning. We'll get into it. It says in verse number one, it says, And, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, maybe you're surprised to see John the Baptist uh, questioning with uncertainty, uh, but he, he came to that point in time. I wonder if any of us have been there before as well. Maybe there even now. I, I've prayed and asked God, God, if there's someone here that, that is in a, in a moment of, of doubt, would you, just like you were, I believe to John, would you be a help to them today? And I believe God can do that. I believe he can. All right, look at verse number four. Here's how Jesus answered that question, which, by the way, I'm glad John went to the right source, went to the Lord and the Lord answered it. And Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he makes this statement, rather general statement that applies to everyone that is here today. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. In other words, that will not fall away, that will not stumble in unbelief. And as they departed, verse 7, Jesus says, it's, I'm sorry, it says that he began to say unto the multitudes concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? I guarantee you that's not what you saw in John the Baptist. He didn't dress effeminately. He wasn't wearing soft clothing. <laughs> he was a Baptist. <laughs> All, right, <anyways. laughs> All right, look at it. Um, Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, 
Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord comes to the side of John the Baptist, even in a time when he's doubting, makes these comments. He didn't want those folks to go away with the wrong idea. Notwithstanding, notice this, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you will receive it, this is Elias or Elijah. Now, he's not saying this is Elijah reincarnated. That's not what he's saying at all. Um, but he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's what the word of God says about that which was for to come, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So today the message, the title of the message is this, Definitive Answers for Those Who Are Dealing With Doubt. Definitive, authoritative, definitive answers for those who are dealing with doubt. So let's pray one more time. I want to ask God to help uh, each and every one here today, including myself. Sure need God's help. Can't do this in my own strength and power. That's for sure. So God, we come once more thanking you, dear God, for the song service that we've enjoyed. Thank you for the greatest of all miracles, the salvation of our souls, and just pray that you'd use this message to be a great source of help and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I believe there's something more contagious among God's people than COVID. And that would be doubt. Doubt. You know, you think about uh, some of the great men of God, uh, men that we would refer to as great men of God. Jesus referred to John as, as great, which, by the way, the way that the world sees people and the way that God sees people doesn't always match up. Uh, the religious leaders of John's day, uh, the elite of their day, they would have despised and did despise John. Herod, the government, uh, despised John. He's locked up in prison. We'll get to that here in just a few moments. So the way that God sees greatness, the way man sees greatness doesn't always match up. That's for sure. But we think about Abraham and, and uh, we, in fact, in the word of God are admonished to follow his faith. But I might remind you there was a time when he was doubting God. He did. He struggled with doubt. Abraham doubted God. He, listen, he knew what God had said, and he knew even the character of God, and yet he still doubted. The children of Israel, who had seen miracle after miracle, I mean, the, the opening of the Red Sea and, and the plagues upon Egypt and, and uh, just evidence after evidence and message after message, didn't they still come to times of doubting? And how about Thomas? I mean... Uh, we even associate his name in many ways with doubting. I think in a lot of ways unfairly. I, I like Thomas. He went to India, uh, history tells us. And, and so he got over that spell of doubt. But he did. I mean, but, but here's, here's the thing I wanted to mention up front is this. He knew what God had said. He knew God's character. And by God, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what Jesus had said, and yet he still doubted and said, I won't believe until I see the print in his nails, in, in his hands rather, and thrust my hand into his side. And the Lord Jesus graciously appeared 
and said to Thomas, Thomas, touch my hands and thrust your hand into my side. And here's what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Even Thomas came to a time of doubting. We're at a very transitional point here in our study of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew has been presenting uh, for both Jews and Gentiles alike that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. He's been making the case that he's the king of Israel. Now they had all kinds of ideas about what the king of Israel would do when he showed up on the scene. They thought that surely he would overthrow the Roman government. They thought surely he would expel all those that had settled the promised land. And, and he, they thought for sure, I mean for sure, that he would set up his kingdom. Yet they're oftentimes left scratching their head because he didn't work the way that they thought that he would work. Now I would imagine if you're honest here today, you say, you know, there's been some times in my life when God didn't do exactly what I thought God would do, when he would do it, in the way that I thought that he would do it, like he's supposed to go by our plans. And you'll come to a time of doubting. I, I want to build up to this. Jesus has been laying the groundwork. He's been uh, showing them his miracles, the works of Jesus. We have seen him heal the deaf. We've seen him heal the blind, the lame, the lepers. I mean, we've seen that in chapter 8, chapter 9. We've seen him speak to his disciples. We've listened in on what he told them about his, his coming kingdom. We've listened in on what his expectations are of his uh, followers and, and how that they're so completely opposite of the way that we normally would live. And, and so he's called people to follow him. And, and we've seen that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so here we, we really are at a very transitional point in Matthew's recounting what happened. And so now what we're going to begin to see, is, pardon me, is the reactions to what Jesus had said and who Jesus was. Jesus said, you're going to see these reactions. He said, you're going to see that there would be some that would believe and follow him. You'll see that there'd be some that would um, refuse to believe. They would reject the message. And then he said this, though, there would be those that would not only reject the message or end up in unbelief, but they would also position themselves in a way that would be aggressive against the spread of the faith. And thus we might say there would be those that would receive the message, those that would reject the message, and then there would be those that would truly resist the message. And we're going to see that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herod, and others that they are going to resist the message. In fact, Jesus told us, you're going to be like sheep among the wolves and that you'll need to behave yourselves wisely. And, and, and he, he explained to us how that, how that opposition would escalate, that they would face opposition by religious groups. They would face opposition by governments that would oppose them. They would face oppositions of members of their own family. In fact, Jesus said it this way, you'll be hated of all men for my sake. Listen, this, this applies to us as well today. We can't make it our goal to be liked and popular with the world that's around us. The Lord never told us to try to make ourselves liked by the world. We are to be like our Savior and that's enough. And if we're like our Savior, uh, in fact, we won't be popular with the world. That's most certainly for sure. In fact, 
one man said it this way, when they are completely faithful, they cannot expect to be universally liked. When you're completely faithful, you will not be universally liked. And so he gave the solution. He said to do this. He said to fear God rather than man. Because that is the fear that cancels out all fear. When you fear God, I'm going to fear the Lord. And here's why he said to do that. Everybody still following me here, tracking me here? I'm doing a little bit of review as we get into it because it really does set up where we're going in chapter number 11. He said, listen, he cares about you. I mean, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that he doesn't know about it. I bet a bunch fell this week, don't you? Well, he knew about every single one of them. In fact, he said he knows the number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He cares about the insignificant part of you, what we would many consider the insignificant part, or you come to a place where you figure it's insignificant because <laughs> you're lacking some on the top. It's not a big deal. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. If he cares about the most insignificant part of you, don't you know he cares about you? He does. He cares about you. He loves you. And, but now uh, he's coming to a place where he's saying, listen, you've got to confess me before men and open allegiance, not secret discipleship, but open allegiance to me. But you need to understand that when you do that, you will face opposition. John the Baptist. Okay, now that leads us naturally into chapter number 11. John the Baptist, listen, was a, a bold prophet of God, a bold preacher of the word of God. And we find him in prison at this very hour, a place called Macarius, Macarius that would be on the uh, east side of the Dead Sea, uh, about maybe uh, seven or eight miles inland, but you could see the Dead Sea. Um, it's a very isolated place, a very difficult dungeon that he was in. Why was he there? I'll tell you why he was there, because he called out Herod. Herod, had, um, Herod was a married man, but he liked his brother's wife and he seduced her, his sister. Hang on. You thought this was just in the tabloids, but no, it's in history. He seduced his brother's wife away from him and then divorced his wife and then went in with her. And John said this, that's not right. John wasn't concerned about political correctness. I don't know many people wearing camel hair and eating wild locusts and honey who are. That's kind of how John was. He just said it like it was. He laid it right down there on the line. And, and so now he's locked up in, in the dungeon there. And, and uh, Herod the Great had constructed that fortress. Now it's in the possession of Herod Antipas, his son. And so he's locked him up there. John came and uh, there's great evidence. In fact, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to chapter three. I want you to see this with your own eyes because I want you to see that John was very clear on who Jesus was. John chapter three, and I'm sorry, did I say John? I meant Matthew. Matthew three, Matthew three. We'll go to John one here in a moment. Matthew three in verse number one. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so it goes on, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees come. And, and so in verse, verse number 10, I want you to see this. 
Now the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down. Hey, let me tell you something. God's not, God's not interested in your family tree like that's going to make you right with God. He just laid the axe right to the tree because the scribes and the Pharisees would say, well, we be Abraham's seed. And they needed to repent. They need to, to forsake unbelief and trust God. And, and so, but I want you to see verse 11. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Everybody see that? Who's he talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. John said, he is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. A servant would carry the shoes of his master. But John says, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. Uh, notice this, it says, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Notice verse number 12. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know what John is saying right there? John the Baptist is saying that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's going he's gonna to divide, separate the wheat from the chaff. You take that winnowing fan up on the, up on the high mountain or the high part, and you'd, you'd throw that wheat up after you'd thresh it, you'd separate it, and you'd throw it up, and it would, the, the chaff would blow away and the wheat would fall to the ground. In other words, John the Baptist is saying this, Jesus is going to see right through people's hypocrisy, and he's going to call them out for it, and he's going to bring judgment. And the chaff is going to be burned up by the fire. And so John the Baptist is saying, when, when Jesus comes, he's going, to, uh, he's going to bring judgment on this old world. That's what he said. John was of the opinion of Jesus' greatness. And he said, I'm not even worthy to, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. In the same chapter, you can scan down there. We won't take time to look at all these verses here, but you can scan, your, uh, scan down and you'll see that Jesus came to be baptized to John. And John said this, I, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Because he understood the Lord's greatness. They asked John, go to, uh, go to John chapter number one. That'd be John, uh, John's gospel, not John the Baptist, but John the apostle. But he gave record of John the Baptist. I want you to see this in John chapter number one. So John uh, the Baptist believed that Jesus was great. He was, he was of, of great superiority to him. He, uh, he believed that he would come and bring judgment. He believed that he would preach on the judgment that was coming. They asked John as to who he was. In fact, look at chapter one and verse number 19. This is the record of John. Which, or sorry, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, verse 21, what then? Art thou Elias? Because they knew from Malachi, everybody still following this right here? They knew from Malachi and they knew from Isaiah they knew that there would come a forerunner before the Messiah. They understood that. And they knew that Elijah would come. And so they believed that. Are thou Elijah? And he said, I am not. So, I mean, right there you see, John the Baptist didn't believe he was Elijah reincarnated. No, he was John. 
I want you to see this, uh, the rest of the verse. He says, art thou that prophet? That was that prophet that was prophesied by Moses. Art thou that prophet? And he said, no. Then said they unto him in verse 22, who art thou? And I love what he says, that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number three talks about how that the forerunner would come and he would make straight the way of the Lord. By the way, it's all caps. That means it's Jehovah. That means that Jesus is Jehovah. Doesn't sit well with Jehovah's witnesses, but that's exactly what John the Baptist said. And that's what Jason the Baptist says, because that's what the word of God says. How's that? We all right? John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that prophet. I'm not Elijah in person. I'm in the spirit and power of Elijah. He is, but, but he, and he said this, I'm not the Christ, but here's who I am. I'm a voice. I'm a voice not philosophizing. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm a voice not here to entertain. I'm a voice not here to, to just have a religious discussion. I'm here to say he's coming. He's coming and he's the Lord. I'm telling you, there's a time when John knew that. He believed that. Okay, John chapter three, we still doing okay? Look at this in John chapter number three. I just want you to see some of this. Oh, mercy, there's a lot in chapter one too. I just looked right over it. Verse, verse number 29, John saw Jesus coming and, and you know this, you'll, you'll join me in chapter three here in a little bit. But he said this in John chapter one, he said, behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, which by the way, Jesus is still the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's the only way that a man can be saved. And John said, Here's the Lamb of God. Here's the one I've been telling you about. And, and so he told him that. And then, then he did this. And he said, he told his disciples. He told a man named, uh, well, his, his brother, his Andrew, I'm sorry, Peter's brother, Andrew. He told Andrew, go see uh, Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. Listen, he believed that he was great. He believed he was the Messiah. He even pointed other people to Jesus. And Andrew found Peter, his brother, and said to Peter, Peter, listen, we have found him. Found who? The Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It, um, oh, mercy, there's another two verses in John chapter 1. I keep looking down at my notes and I keep seeing verses that show what John the Baptist believed. I'm just trying to make the case he had it straight. All right, since, since we're there and, and uh, John, you hang on in chapter three. I'll join you by the end of the message. John chapter one and verse 32, John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou seest the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. I saw and bear record, listen to what John said, that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist said of Jesus, this is the Son of God. I saw the Holy Ghost descending as a dove upon him. And then chapter three, we're, hey, we're, we're there. That doesn't mean it's towards the end of the message, but 
we're there in chapter three and verse number 28. Look what John the Baptist said. He said this, ye yourselves bear, wit bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent, what does he say? I am sent, what? Before him. So I, I, I realize I may be, I may be overdoing it here. I, I don't know, I don't think so, but I could be overdoing it to try to make it very, very clear that John the Baptist was very, very clear at one point in time that Jesus is none other than the Christ. He plainly said, I'm not he, but I'm come, I'm come to bear witness of him. In fact, John identified Jesus as the bridegroom and himself as the friend of the bride. Now, let me ask you this. At a wedding, who's supposed to be the center of attention? The, the bridegroom or the, or the best man? Very plain, it ought to be the bridegroom. Shame on the best man who acts like he can't find the ring still in the show. <laughs> right? Because the attention is supposed to be on the groom. John is saying, I'm not the groom. I'm come to tell you, he's coming. I'm here to tell you, he's here. In fact, John said it this way. You're still in chapter three. You can see these verses yourself. In John three and verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. All right, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. In fact, you can go back to Matthew 11. And, and, but in John chapter number 10, Jesus went over on the other side of Jordan where John baptized at the first. And it says this of John the Baptist. It says that, that all things that John spake of this man were true and many believed on him because of John the Baptist's words. Uh, while you're still finding your place there in Matthew 11, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and mention to you that when Paul, when Paul ran into some of the disciples of John the Baptist in Ephesus, in Ephesus, he said this, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Is everybody here convinced that John was convinced? If you go out of here thinking, I wonder if John really believed that Jesus was the Christ, you probably fell asleep during the first part of this message. If you, if you wondered if, if John thought Jesus was great, if, if you wondered if, if he believed that he was the Messiah, if, if, you, if you wondered if, if John had some question uh, early on about him being the Son of God, then, then you haven't read carefully the New Testament of what John said. Now, I, I've gone to great lengths to say all of that to, because of this. It's highly possible that even right here in this auditorium are people who maybe even have grown up in church or saved or saved as an adult. And there's a time in your life, are you listening to me here this morning? There's a time in your life when you believe that God was great. And you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you believe, and you may still believe, hang on, hang with it. I'm not trying to over-dramatize this thing right here, but there's a time when, when you believe that, I mean, that being in church was the greatest, I mean, the greatest part of your week. And I, and I hope that you still do. Because you don't have to be newly saved to be excited about the things of God. But, but there can be a time when you believe everything right about the Word of God and everything right about Jesus and who He said He was and believe it in your soul and believe that God is good and believe that God loves you 
and believe that God cares and believe that being a part of an independent fundamental Baptist church is scriptural. I said it's scriptural, not just traditional, but we are what we are because of scripture, not because of just what we've been doing the last 2,000 plus years. What do you mean 2,000 plus years? Because it goes all the way back to who Jesus was and what he started. And, and you, can, you can believe that in your soul and you can believe that this approach to serving God is right and that we ought to be soul winning and, and that we ought to be fervent about it, that we ought to run buses even when it's, when it's moderately cold. Thank God for the men that got here about seven this morning, got those buses cranked up and ready to go. And by the time they got to church, they were warmed up. Now they were warmed up before that. I'm just saying, hey, listen, I realize there's some Sundays when we don't run buses, but we ran buses today and we've got to keep kids coming. And, but I'm just trying to say that maybe from a child, you've known that Jesus is the Son of God and you've believed that. Are you listening to me here this morning? You, you believe that God is. You believe that He exists and you believe that He's not a God who just kind of got things going and now He just kind of got it spinning and He's out of the picture and He doesn't care about the details. And But it could be today that you've become agnostic in your thinking. That you've become questioning. You've become cynical. You've become one that would even wonder, or, am I in the right kind of a church? And is this really the Word of God? I mean, can you really rely that the King James Bible has preserved what God said? Or did a bunch of men just write this and say this and do this? And did Jesus really rise from the dead? And does He really care about me? I, I realize that there's a wide spectrum in which a person could be dealing and struggling with doubt today. Everything from just outright atheism that says there is no God. I don't even believe that any of this is real anymore. And listen, don't think that a Baptist couldn't come to a place like that. Don't think that somebody that grew up in church couldn't come to a place like that. Every one of us are susceptible to come to a place like that. I'm telling you that we are. And that you, you would say, don't, don't be a Peter here this morning and say, I'd never say what John the Baptist said. I'd never question him. I'd never wonder about whether he's the son of God or not or, or the Messiah or not. Have you been in Macarius prison before? You see, the seeds of doubt sprout in the soils of suffering. And you're going through something prolonged and you're isolated and you're under pain and you're under suffering for a certain amount of time and it's not looking like it's going to go away. Listen to me. And it's like things aren't going like you thought they would. I remember Brother Benzwanger preaching this message back in, in September or this passage and he had a big question mark here and then a big exclamation mark. You remember that? Big question mark, big exclamation mark and there was a question about who Jesus was and, but then when John got clear about that, there was a big exclamation mark. But then over the period of time and in the, in the soil of suffering, he began to wonder, art thou he that should come? I'm just reading what the Bible said. Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? John the Baptist began to wonder, are you him or are you his forerunner? How do you go from a place of saying, I'm not worthy to carry his shoes? How do you go from a place of saying, I don't need to, be ba I don't need to baptize you. you need, I need to be baptized of you. How do you go from a place of saying, I'm not he. I've come to bear witness of him. I'm not trying to be hard on John because, because God recorded this for you and I because he knew, he knew John the Baptist and said some wonderful things about John the Baptist. said, listen, he's not a reed out there shaking in the wind. He's shook right now, but he's solid. He's not a man that's wearing effeminate clothing. He's a man. 
and he wears man's clothing. And, he, and he's, he's not trying to gain popularity. And he, in fact, he's there in prison because he took a stand. And of all men that have been born of women, there's not a man that's been greater than John. But I tell you, the one that's in the kingdom of heaven now is, is greater than he. In other words, he's not saying in terms of character or in terms of, uh, of ability, but in terms of his position in, in understanding things. We, in many ways, are in a better position today because of the New Testament than even what John the Baptist was, the last prophet of the Old Testament. To understand these things, we're in a, we're in a greater position in the kingdom of heaven are you following what I'm saying right here? We're in a better position to understand these things because we understand the whole Bible and we have it available to us where John didn't have it all available to him. And so Jesus says, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, he's just simply saying this. Listen, he has a momentary situation of doubt right here, but that does not define who he is. And you may be here this morning doubting, doubting your salvation or doubting, doubting God in some way or doubting if God's going to come through for you. And, and maybe you've been in a long situation. I mean, it's, it's not like you're in a prison, but, but you might as well be because you're in a dungeon of doubt. Well, what was it? I, hey, look, look, look. I don't think it was like John was doubting this because he was just going through a hard time. Uh. John's no wimp. He, I, I mean, if you can down a locust, you're doing pretty good. He's not a wimp. He's a strong man. I don't think it was suffering alone that caused this. I believe this is what it was. The text doesn't specifically say, so I, I realize I'm, 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 Speculating here, thinking here, but, but given this, hang on, I think I'm on some solid ground right here to say this. Given all that John had said about him and believed about him and preached about him, especially the part about him coming and bringing judgment, and now he looks at what's going on, and he's kind of lost track of exactly all that's going on, but he's heard from his disciples that, you know, he's preaching to the poor and he's healing the sick. And even read in Luke chapter 4 out of Isaiah chapter 61 in verse 1, he didn't read all of verse 2 because the second half of verse 2 has to do with judgment. And he didn't come to bring the judgment right then. He will, but he didn't come to bring it right then, the type of judgment that John, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2. Jesus stood and read, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book and he sat down. Why? Because Jesus knew who he was and he knew what he was doing and he knew it wasn't time to set up the kingdom yet. But if in Isaiah chapter 61 in verse 1 it says he came to set the prisoners free, there's a prisoner about seven miles off the Dead Sea that's wondering how come I'm locked up right now. I'm just trying to think like John the Baptist was thinking. Maybe he was thinking something like this. I just wonder if it crossed his mind. If he came to bring judgment, I got a real good place for him to start. Herod. It'd be a great place to start. And John, John was doing this. John was looking at what he'd been saying about Messiah when he comes, that he's going to bring judgment. And he was looking at what was going on. And what was going on didn't seem to be matching up what he believed about Messiah when he came. 
And it left him with the question mark. I would imagine that many of you have been there too. When what you know about God and what God says doesn't seem to be matching up with how he's working in your life right now. And you can begin to doubt God. And his word and this whole church thing and this whole thing of tithing and missions and is Jesus really the only way? Maybe God's open to some other ideas. Everybody around us is pretty loose on their interpretation of things. Maybe God's not as narrow as what He seems to be in the Bible. Maybe this thing of salvation isn't even real. I don't know the level of doubt you may have come to or where you may be. But if you're experiencing doubt, it's plaguing you right now. Let me say this. <clears throat> Somebody says, if you ever doubt your salvation, that means you're not saved. That's not right. That's not right. I don't have respect for an evangelist that tries to add up his numbers of, 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 of souls saved in a revival meeting just by telling a bunch of stories that kind of shakes everybody up. I don't have respect for that. No, I, I, if a person's lost, then you're, if you're lost, you're, you're in a precarious place and you don't know that you have another day. And I, I, I am very apt to tell you or, or prompted to tell you that if you're not saved, you do need to be saved today. But if, you, if somebody says, if you've, if you've got doubt, that means you're not saved. John the Baptist doubted. I believe he was saved. Jesus said he was saved. That settles it for real. Heard Adrian Rogers say one time that doubt is in many ways much like a fever in your body. A fever indicates that you got life. <laughs> Dead people don't have a fever. If you ran a fever this last week, or if you're running a fever right now, at least you're alive. <laughs> but it also says this, there's something wrong in my body. And it needs, it needs to be attacked, whatever it is. And, and uh, I, I came off of my pain medicine for a little while to see, okay, I wonder where this temperature will go. And about 104, I thought, okay, that's, that's close enough. Let's put this fire out real quick. <laughs> But I think it actually helped me kind of burn it out. All right, I'm no doctor, but I'm just simply saying this. Um, my only point in this illustration is this. You got a fever, that means at least you got life. You got a fever, though, that means there's something wrong. Okay, here's what I'm saying. If you are dealing with doubt, and in, in you're like in John the Baptist's case, that means you got this. You got spiritual life, but it also says this, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And so what did Jesus do? What is the definitive answer for those that are dealing with doubt? Here it is. And I know even when I say it, you may say, well, that's too simplistic or um, that's circular reasoning or something along those lines. In fact, here's what might happen. If you're dealing with doubt, you may even doubt what I'm about to say. Jesus' definitive answer when John was dealing with doubt was this, the word of God. He said this, go tell, 
the, hang on, let me, let, me, let me give the full picture right here. The Word of God and the person of God. The character of God. The Word of God and the person of God. Go tell John. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised again. In other words, it's like he's saying this. Go quote Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 61. Go quote these verses to John the Baptist. And if he'll take into consideration the word of God, it'll deal with his doubt right there. Because Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill these prophetic passages that I just listed for you in rapid fashion. And every one of them deal with the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, etc., etc. And Jesus is saying, I said this was going to happen and it's happening. So you deal with doubt with the reliability of the infallible, inerrant, preserved word of God and the character of God who cannot lie. Man may tell you something and it not be true. Man may tell you something and it, and it be proven false. There is fake news and there's all kinds of myths that go around. But when God says it, friend, listen, you can mark it down because God cannot lie. And he promised eternal life. And he said that he loved you. And he says that he cares about you. And he says what he said about the church and about eternal life and about salvation and about exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he said what he said about creation. And he said what he said about eternal things and, he, and the uh, final things, the eschatology. He said what he said and he meant what he said and it's reliable and you don't have to go to bed wondering and doubting and fearful and uncertain and shook in this world and wondering does God exist or is this right or not? Just go back to the word of God and take it. That's the word of God. That's the definitive answer. I don't know if I believe that or not. Who are you going to believe, man or God? Who are you going to believe, man or God? I'm going to go with man because he's figured things out. He's been thinking on this thing and he's come to the conclusion that everything's got to have a cause. Everything that is has got to be caused by something. Right? Right. Things that are not eternal. Things that are not eternal have got to have a cause. So, there's got to be a cause. So the cause is an explosion that set everything in motion and it's still in motion. They figured that much out. In fact, most even scientists will say it goes back to a point in time. We can't really figure out what time it was. But hang on, wait a minute. They weren't there when it happened. So it cannot be proven scientifically. Oh, they say, oh, but we are scientific in our, in our persuasions, in our hypothesis, in our conclusions, and in our propositions. We are very scientific. That means you can measure it, that you've seen it. Were you there when it happened? Well, no, but you can see the effects of this thing. The Bible says this, God spoke and all the world came into existence. Either way is going to take faith. I'm listening to a book right now. I've got to get back to it by a man named Frank Turek who has a book entitled this, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Right. Amen. 
And yet because of the degrees and because of the titles and because of their popularity in society, because of propaganda, society has believed a lie and forsaken the simplicity of God's Word and the truth contained therein. And what we need to do is just get back to what God said and don't wrestle with doubt. You say, well, that's a rather simplistic way to live. It'll help you even in the dungeon. It'll help you even in hard times. It'll help you even in times of suffering. It'll help you even, in what, even when what you've known all your life is put up to question by yourself or by others. If you just keep coming back to who God is and what He said, friend, listen, your life will be on solid ground. I've shared this before, but a man was, was rescued at sea because the tide came in and it caught him unawares and he was literally hanging on to a rock through the night. In fact, this, this actually happened to my brother-in-law who escaped from Vietnam like many others. You know, he's from Vietnam and escaped in Vietnam and he got caught by the tide and he held onto a rock all night. But this was another individual that they were interviewing. They said to him, sir, were you scared? Were you shaking when you were holding onto that rock through the night when the tide came in? He said, oh, yes. I was shaking, but the rock wasn't. And friend, listen, you may be shaking because of all that's going on in your life and all that's going on around us, but I'm telling you, friend, the rock doesn't shake. And you need to be careful when you get in a place where you're isolated, like John was. I'm just throwing this in here. Because all this sickness that's been going around has left a lot isolated even at home. And I understand a lot of that. But uh, l- let me tell you something. You better not stay in a place of isolation. I realize there's some that just physically cannot do it. But you better not let that form a habit because seeds of doubt grow in isolation. Prolonged situations can cause us to doubt and wonder and question God. But a friend, listen, he's trustworthy. Father, today I thank you that even when we come to times of doubt, truth remains. Thank you. I want to thank you today for the truth of salvation that Jesus literally died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And I thank you that you said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray for believers today, like John, who may be in a very difficult spot in life and looking at what is going on in their life and wondering what you're doing. But you know what you're doing, and you're trustworthy. And I thank you for being faithful when we are faithless. And you cannot deny yourself, dear God, I thank you for that. And so today I pray that you bless our invitation and help any that may be going through a time or period of doubting in some, to some extent, please, dear God, help, help us today, dear God, please help us, Lord, not to be practical atheists in the way that we live and just going through the motions of churchanity. Oh God, would you deliver us from that and have a real vibrant relationship with the living Son of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here today, page 262.